Blog Talk Radio. again it's another Wednesday evening this is the 5th of May 2021 we're broadcasting live from the great state of Indiana and in Indianapolis this is no one global welcome each and everyone listening across the globe to our show today we are very pleased happy excited because we have a friend of mine who will be joining us all the way from Zambia. So we are, it's exactly a few minutes after four in Zambia, and you can imagine somebody's calling in uh, to be part of the show. So it's, uh, it's, it's uh, the, the least I can say, 
I'm excited. So let me say hi to Nancy. Hey, Nancy, how are you doing? Hi, Noah. How are you? How are the uh, listeners this evening? And I'm also excited that uh, Miss Marisa Banda is calling in from Zambia at 4 a.m. <laughs> we are oh, very, yeah. very glad yeah. to have you on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's calling all the way from Zambia. Uh, it's actually 3 in the morning that night. It should be, yeah, it should be 4. Yeah. Oh, it's three. oh okay. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's still early. So let's say we, hi to Brother Warren. Brother Warren is, of course, joining us from the other side of the United States. Brother Warren, welcome. Uh, greetings. Uh, I bring you greetings from uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. Good, good. Thank you. Yeah. Na- Nancy, what are we talking about today? Well, uh, today we are talking about culture. I know we've had uh, three busy weeks where we discussed uh, Christianity and uh, religion, and we continued on that topic last week. Can you imagine uh, today is our 11th week of this uh, primetime radio show? So for those that are tuning oh. in today, this was go for <laughs> 11th Yeah, week, we are moving Noah. on high. Oh, yeah, time flies. <laughs> we are moving in high. <laughs> I'm excited about uh, the future of this show. As you know, me and Noah co-hosted this show, and uh, we've collaborated before in other uh, projects. So moving forward, uh, I'm excited. So today we're talking about um, culture and traditions, and uh, we'll hear from the, the people that, uh, that, uh, that will be participating today to see how we can define culture and traditions. And, us, and I think Noah also said he's going to infuse that into spirituality and um, religions. So I'm tuning in today with an open mind to listen, to share, to ask questions, and also to be non-judgmental, as I was taught in school, to be ethnocentric. That is, I believe that one's culture is... Uh, better than other people's culture. So I'm trying to be non-ethnocentric to go into this discussion with an open mind, not to be judgmental, and just to learn to have that cultural relativism, which is the ability to understand the culture on its own terms and not to make judgments using the standards of one's own culture. So basically, your culture is not better than my culture. But at the same time, we have to learn and be open-minded. So uh, the, the goal really is to promote the understanding of cultural practices that are not typically part of our one's own culture. So back to Noah before we really jump in. I think I'll be reviewing different cultures and traditions from young girls and women's perspectives as it also relates to marriages, growing up, living, marital rituals, passage of rights leading to marriage. Then we'll touch on topics like uh, circumcision, genital mutilation, early marriages, arranged marriages. So I also looked at different cultures in Africa. Because basically, if, if we have to talk about the cultures from all over the world, we are going to spend the whole year talking about these cultures. Just going back to my continent. <laughs> Going back to my mm-hmm. continent in Africa alone with uh, 50, 50 what? 54 states and narrowing it down to my Zambia. Um, yeah, 54 countries. So just narrowing down to Zambia, which has uh, 72 languages and probably 36 cultures, it's a lot. 
So the questions that I'll be asking today are, what is culture? What is traditions? What do you think is interesting about your culture? What comes to customs do you practice? What are your favorite customs? What customs do you think should be revised? What customs do you think should no longer be practiced? What customs mm-hmm. from elsewhere do you think should be included in our couch in your culture? So this is just for our listeners and everybody on this panel today as we move forward. Okay? Back to you, Noah. Yeah, so as you can tell, this is a very broad, broad topic, but we'll do our best to dissect as much as we can in relation to uh, what is the role of culture in our society, especially as black people, as people who have forgone our own culture in preference for other people's culture, especially where religion is concerned. So we'll discuss from different angles, but to start us out, we're going to have Brother Warren just to share uh, a little bit what is culture from uh, his perspective. Uh, Thank you. Um, As you said, Noah, it's a very broad term, therefore a broad concept. So I look at what I call three dimensions or three domains of culture. Now, domain one is what I call the visible and uh, easily recognizable and understandable parts of culture. There are seven parts to that. Number one when you come across, and, and, and I, I kind of taught this in a study group uh, I, we did some years ago where people would get off from work. Once a week, they'd get off from work in the evening, and then I was one of the instructors with another person. We would, have a, we would take a book, or we would talk about African history and culture as what we call a study group. That was big back in the 90s. But I would tell people, first thing, when you encounter a person of a different culture than yours, you want to know the location of where they came from, the geography. Number two, you want to know the history of the person's culture or locality where they came from. Number three, you want to know the language. In other words, what language is spoken in their culture. Number four, you want to know their spiritual system, their religion that they practice. The next one was cuisine. What are their food ways, their food traditions? Music and dance, customs and traditions. Now, that's one domain of culture we all are familiar with when we talk about culture. We usually speak in this domain, these, these seven elements that I've identified. But there's another domain of culture you don't hear many people delve into. You might hear specialists like psychologists talk about. I call it the psychosocial disposition of a culture. In other words, in a particular culture, how do the people relate to themselves vis-a-vis relating to others outside their group? And I'm going to give you an example of that. I was in uh, Vanuatu. Vanuatu is a series of islands in the South Pacific. In the South Pacific Islands, uh, particularly Vanuatu, the Solomon Islands, and Fiji, 
the indigenous people are black people, just like Africans, except they've been there for tens of thousands of years. So if any one of you, like any of us on the phone, you go to the South Pacific Islands like Vanuatu, Fiji, and, and uh, Solomon, they wouldn't even know you from anybody else from where they're from. Okay. Well, anyway, I was, I was in Vanuatu on my first trip, and I noticed everybody was just so nice, and I, I didn't hear anybody say anything negative about nothing and no one. I'm serious. I, I, this, 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 this aroused my curiosity, so I, I mentioned that to someone. I said, well, nobody talks about anybody. Nobody gossips. Nobody, everybody's smiling. He said, well, that's because, you know, people don't really know you, uh, so they're not going to reveal their, uh, an aspect of themselves to you because you're still kind of like a, you know, an outsider. So that's an example of what I mean by the psychosocial dynamics of culture, how people relate to themselves vis-a-vis relating to other people. And the third domain of culture is this. What happens when a people become conquered by another people? How do their cultures and traditions change? Do their cultures and traditions continue to have the meaning that they had before they were conquered? So those of us of, of, of descent from the African continent, the autochthonous groups of the African continent, west, south, central, east, parts of the northern part, if we go back, let's say, a 1,000 years ago, those of us who identify as black, I guess we would be back on the African continent. How different are we today than we were a thousand years ago? How did our conquest change these domains, the two domains of culture I mentioned? How did those things change? And so those are, that, those are the perspectives of culture. That, uh, well, that's the angle that I approach the concept of culture. Yeah, that's a great way to start, Brother Warren. Yeah, I like especially when you mention the point, what happens when a people are conquered. So let me try to put a little spin on what Brother Warren has uh, outlined here for our discussion this evening. So when we look at culture, I'll try to focus a little bit on uh, further uh, breaking down what culture is and also look at culture from the perspective of when a people have been dominated, what are the effects, what are the consequences? So a culture in simple terms is a way of thinking, a way of attending the world, a way of perceiving the world. It's a way of ordering information and it's a way of processing information. So when we say that the Europeans conquered us and distorted our history and gave us, for instance, the religion that we have and the practices that we have, the, the affinity that we have for the other people. It's as a result of being conquered by the foreign, the, the foreign people. So when we say the Europeans distorted our culture or decultured us, what we are saying is that the Europeans distorted our modes of understanding the world. In other words, you can say modes of attending the world, our modes of experiencing the world, our modes of classifying the world, our modes of processing information. Because you see, a culture 
For instance, when you come from Zambia, you come from a different country, you relate to your people and you practice certain things according to what you're used to. So culture provides you with a frame for thinking. It provides you with a structure of, of organizing information for classifying information and also evaluating information. So when you distort a people's culture, you distort their capacity to appropriately organize and process information for their own good. This is why one of the challenges that we have as a, as a people is because our culture or our mental framework has been twisted. So for let me, let me give another example when I say uh, processing or classifying, attending the world, what do I mean? For instance, if you have a a, a container that, uh, for instance, if you go to Walmart, you buy a container that has juice. So in most cases, it will be maybe one liter is going to maybe contain in one of the packages. You cannot go past the limits that are laid out by uh, the container. If it says you can only f fill this package for maybe 2.2 percent Well, uh, I think Noah is uh, off the line. Yeah, that, that happens sometimes as a host. You might get knocked off, and he just has to call in. But I guess we can continue this conversation till he, <laughs> till he gets back on. See, sometimes you, you as the host may be knocked off the show, and the, the, the people who are listening will still be there. The host just has to call himself back in, you know? All right, all right. So uh, I know that – okay. So uh, just to continue from what Noah was saying, because I know me and him, we don't rehearse for what perspectives we come from. So I looked at um, the differences between culture and traditions. So uh, mm -hmm. basically, um, I do understand your point, like uh, what happens to a people when they've been decultured. Mm -hmm. So this is in terms of the African-Americans and Jamaicans and those in the Caribbean. So what happened to the, uh, the cultural practices when they were brought from Africa to across the seas? So and then uh, what happened, what has happened to the Africans who are still in Africa today? The people mm -hmm. that have access to, you know, to uh, the Europeans and um, um, they have access to Internet. But then uh, as I did my research, I've discovered that there are so many people, too, that are still in their own cultures, mm -hmm. that are still following their old practices. Mm -hmm. So uh, I looked at the tradition as a belief or behavior for four customs mm -hmm. passed down within a group or society within mm -hmm. symbolic meaning or special significance with origins in the past. An example mm -hmm. of the tradition is eating turkey. So where did that come from for the, you know, like on Thanksgiving or putting on a, uh, putting up a, uh, a Christmas tree, like for the um, Americans. So um, when I looked at the main differences between culture and tradition, it, uh, it's beliefs like, um, and behaviors that are passed down from one generation to another. But then I know you bring in a very, very, uh, very interesting concept of deculturalization, and that's what Noah was trying to to explain. Mm -hmm. Is that Noah? Noah, are you back? Mm 
Yeah, yeah. So, so I apologize. You know, like sometimes when you're having fun, the internet tries to misbehave. So, I apologize for for the. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, uh, you now we were, we, were, we were carrying on the conversation. <laughs> yeah. It, you see, this is why we have other people on the show so that when something happens, at least others are able to jump in and take it up. Yeah. So mm-hmm. let me just conclude my thoughts. What I was saying is when a people have been uh, conquered, mm-hmm. their culture is distorted. So their culture is distorted in the sense that their ways of perceiving the world gets mixed up or you don't know the line where you start or where you end. So let me put it this way. When a people's culture has been distorted, your capacity to appropriately organize and process information gets also distorted. So this is exactly what has happened to our people. We have been conquered. Our ways of understanding the world, we we have our black bodies, but we aspire for everything European. So this is one of the challenges that we have. So let's throw it back there to, oh, before we proceed, actually, our very special guest joining us all the way from Zambia, she has actually joined the line. So we're having a little bit of technicalities. So this is Marita Banda. A friend of mine, she, I'll actually let her introduce herself. I know it's early in the morning out there, Malita. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I'm glad to be able to connect. Oh, good, good. Yeah, we, we certainly appreciate you joining us from uh, Zambia, especially at this hour of day or uh, in the morning. Can you share with uh, our listeners just a little bit uh, about yourself? Who is Marita Banda? All right, so um, Marita Banda is, first of all, a Zambian citizen. And uh, I was born and raised in the cosmopolitan city of Lusaka. I'm a teacher by trade. I uh, teach English and French, uh, as well as I'm a writer. I'm a poet, um, as well as a writer of nonfiction. And um, I write in my native language, Tumbuka, in English and in French. And my recent book is actually related to the topic that we're discussing this evening. And it's traditional Zambian etiquette for modern living. Um, That's a bit of what I can say about myself. Thank you. Good, good, good. Yeah, so uh, I I think I'll let Nancy, Nancy, go ahead and ask a question to Marita. So, uh, Ms. Marita Banda, we're so happy to have you on the show this morning on your side. Today it's evening yes. here. So, how are you doing again? I'm very well, thank you, and I'm glad to be able to connect on this call. Yes, you are so loud and clear. I would love to be clear like that when I travel to Zambia and be able to participate on the show. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, you know it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I know you just wrote yeah. a book. So uh, can you talk a little bit about the book and um, what it's all about and what we need to know about the Zambian culture, etiquette? Okay, so traditional Zambian etiquette for modern living is a book that was uh, particularly created for young people between the ages of uh, 
13 and 24, just to help them to navigate with their social skills in the modern world, while not forgetting our traditions. So remember that um, Zambia is now a melting point of different cultures because we have different people uh, coming to live and interact with Zambian people. Uh, as Noah put it, Zambia was colonized by the British, so we have uh, a background of our own traditional culture as well as uh, uh, the British interaction. But then now it's a melting point where we have people from all over the world uh, coming to live and work in Zambia and interact with the Zambian people. And so because of that uh, interaction of different cultures, people are getting to have different social skills, what works in uh, one environment doesn't necessarily always work and so that's why i created the book to help people to navigate so for example i will give you that um, in traditional zambian society um, to give respect to the elders means that we do not make direct eye contact for instance but then when you go to a school situation because we have uh, modern education when you don't make eye contact with your teachers and your peers, it, that's a very rude behavior, but it would be interpreted differently in our uh, traditional context. So I, in the book, I indicate the different situations. Um, so the, the book is broken down in different chapters, like etiquette at home, etiquette at school, etiquette at the palace, etiquette at a place of work, etiquette um, at a place of worship and, you know, broken down like that. And then uh, from that level, it's broken down. Like if you are going, for example, to a local church in a rural area, your interactions uh, will be according to gender and according to age. And so it depends what context you are in, if that's what is going to determine your social skills. So uh, in a nutshell, that's pretty much what... Um, uh, the etiquette book is about. So, uh, thank you so much. So, uh, uh, the book is just for children or even the adults? Can the adults also buy the book or is it just for children? Uh, well, the book was actually intended for 13 to 24 year olds. However, when I published it in 2019, it was immediately adopted by the Zambia Institute of Diplomatic Studies. So it's now being mm -hmm. used as um, a core textbook for everyone who trains in Zambia to become a diplomat anywhere in the world. But currently I am working on the adult edition because the adult edition um, has additional information because the way adults interact among themselves and with uh, young people is quite different. So the reason I created that book specifically for young people, is to help them to navigate the traditional society in a modern world, uh, understanding that now the world is, um, does not necessarily, or Zambia does not necessarily have one culture. It is a melting point of different cultures. So to just um, help them to know what is the appropriate behavior. But then the... Um, the book that I'm working on now, which is the adult edition, actually goes into much more detail uh, beyond just the surface interactions because adults um, in our society command a lot of respect. Oh, yeah. All right. Thank you. 
Yes, so that's Thank that's so good. Good that, night. Uh, uh, I'm happy for you for your job for your. Uh, No, are you still have, there? Uh, Brother Warren, share a little bit about. Yes, uh, you, 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 you guys, you can't hear me. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you were breaking. You were breaking. Yeah, yeah okay. I like the yeah, point sorry, that I... Marita brought up. I like the point that Marita brought up about the melting point. I know even the United States is a is a is a melting point, and hopefully. Brother Warren can touch on that, knowing that uh, America has made a lot of people from different cultures, different countries, different ethnicities, and, um, you know, having, you know, lived in this country for over 10 years now, I see the interculturalness. You know, so uh, back to uh, Brother Warren, maybe you can uh, touch on uh, some points. Yeah, no, yeah I want to further what I say. Let's go ahead first. Before Brother Warren comes in, let's go ahead and take a short break and play this song and then we'll be back and we'll take it up from there just give our listeners a few seconds to stretch and have a cup of drink cup of tea or anything that you want to drink so we'll be back in a few seconds let's play this track
So uh, welcome back, welcome back. That was um, the mighty Shalamwana. The mighty Shalamwana. She's all uh, she's all the way from uh, DRC Congo. As we are talking about culture today, so uh, we have uh, different elements that make up culture. Music is one of them. So if you're coming from Zaid, DRC Congo, you understand Shalamwana. So um. Talking about culture today, I think because uh, as we said earlier on, that it's kind of like a very wide uh, topic and looking at it from different dimensions. We have Miss um, uh, Marita Banda in Zambia, and then we have uh, Noland Lovo, who is Zambian. I'm also Zambian, but I've been in the States for quite some time. So if I go back to Zambia, I think probably I've been decultured. And then we have Brother Warren, an African American, who traced uh, his DNA from Zambia, actually, but he's a well learned man. He, he really does um, do his own research and studies a lot of history. So, uh, Brother Warren, I think I was um, asking about the melting point, um, America being the um, melting point. We have uh, people from different uh, uh, cultures, ethnicities, uh, countries, and we are all in this country. So uh, can you shed a light on that one and how are the African-Americans um, navigating this family structure? Well, I'd like to, to say that uh, I'd like to use where I'm from in the United States as an example of culture change uh, in, of course, uh, melting pot. Now, I'm from the state of Louisiana, which is in the southern part of the United States. And so the southern part of the United States is known to have been the, the, uh, the heartland of, of American enslavement. And so... You know, we have, when you come to the southern part of the United States, uh, on the tourism landscape in many of the states would be uh, what we call plantation homes. Another name are called antebellum homes. Louisiana is a, is a little distinct state within the, the United States because Louisiana initially was colonized by the French and the Spanish. Of course, the Native Americans were here. And so the first white people to come to Louisiana were the French, whereby in the east coast of the United States, the first white people were people from Britain. Okay, so in Louisiana, Louisiana did not become American possession until 1803. And even as Louisiana became American possession, the population, for the most part, black or white, was still a French-speaking population. Now, the enslaved black population, that is, those people who came from Africa and their descendants, they developed a creolization of the French language, same as was done in Haiti. And, for example, an English creolization would be the creole spoken in Sierra Leone, the pigeon spoken in Nigeria, that would, and in Jamaica. So that would be an example of the creolization of English. The creolization of French, the good examples would be Haiti and the Caribbean and Guadeloupe and Martinique. But Louisiana also had a creolized French. So my grandparents spoke creolized French. So, for example, let me show you an example. In French, you might say, I have the house. You might say, j'ai la maison. But in Creole, they don't say j'ai or j'ai, they say mo. So they would say mo gain maison la. 
So they'll put the direct article at the end of the noun. They won't say la maison, they'll say maison la. And in this Creole language, a lot of these stories were told, the same type of stories that were from Africa, but they were told in the Creole language. So, for example, when I was a kid, my grandparents would talk about two animals, Buki, one was called Buki, and Compe Lapin. Now, Compe Lapin was the rabbit, but Buki was a hyena. There are no hyenas in the United States. There are no hyenas in Louisiana, but we heard those stories. So that's an example of how the African culture became adaptable to the new environment that it found itself. As Louisiana became American possession, more English-speaking people starts to move in. And so over time to where you are about now, English is spoken. There are some French-speaking populations here in Louisiana, but they're very small compared to English. So you see the culture will change as a result of political change over time. Uh, cuisine, you know, now everybody in America, we eat pizza. That's supposed to be Italian. We eat spaghetti and meatballs. That's supposed to be Italian. Tacos, that's Mexican, you know, et cetera. So we see when groups live among each other, there may be some transfer of their cultures. And I gave an example, I think, one time on the radio show about gumbo. Gumbo is one of our signature dishes here in Louisiana. Well, gumbo is a soup-like dish with crabs, shrimp, sausages. You eat it over white rice. Gumbo is an African word. It means okra in many of the languages in Western and Central Africa. So, Everybody eats gumbo, white people eat gumbo, but the best gumbo makers are the black people. And we eat gumbo usually on holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving, or just any time a person wants to make it. It's cooked in a big, large pot. And so, again, that's an example of an African-derived food dish that is considered part of the Louisiana identity. So... <laughs> These are just some examples of cultural change, and I, I use that to give an example of how Africans adapted their culture to the new environment during enslavement in terms of language and cuisine, and how it grows to the larger society who may adopt some things, and how when others move among other people, they adopt elements of each other's uh, folk, uh, well, in this case, cuisine. All right, all right. Uh, thank you so much. So uh, as we said earlier on, that uh, there are so many um, things that define culture, like what Mr. Warren has said there, music, language, clothes. So for clothes, for me, I come from Zambia. I'm Lozi. So what defines us as Lozi people is the Musisi outfit. And uh, if you look at the uh, Zulu tribe in South Africa, they're, they're most, they wear beads a lot, beads a lot. And, then, uh, the, uh, and also the Maasai tribe in, uh, in uh, Kenya. So uh, also the, the norms, the festivals, the rituals and the ceremonies, holidays, festivities. So I know uh, when you are doing the research, uh, what are some of the cultural shocks? Like uh, in Africa, some of the practices that are still being practiced in Africa now, do you have anything to say on that? Yeah, I think for our African continent, 
it's it's a good thing that at least Africa still has maintained, despite our people being displaced across the world, but at least just like Brother Warren just shared, uh, people could be in Haiti, uh, the food gamble, it still maintains the African culture and heritage. So at least that's a, that's a very good, big, big plus. So let me, uh, since we have our special guest all the way in Zambia, let me try to ask uh, Malita, talk a little bit about the cuisine, especially in your book, and just talk about what is, what, what is unique about Zambian culture. Ah, uh, thank you for that question. I'm actually working on a cookbook. Um, well, originally, Zambian people eat uh, a plant-based diet, but in the modern world, there's um, a lot of meat that has come into our diet. Zambians generally eat uh, off of the land, so there will be a lot of uh, fish that are pescatarian and also a lot of uh, vegetarian uh, food um, this would be, you know, leaves and uh, root uh, vegetables that are, are originally from here. So the root vegetables, the root foods would be things like uh, sweet potatoes and cassava. And um, if it includes other parts of Africa, it would include yams. And then uh, for the leaves, um, things like uh, blackjack, um blackjack leaves as well as uh, leaves from from trees like uh, moringa are also part of our diet. And we also know that these foods have actually a lot of uh, medicinal values. So our food was also our medicine originally. Uh, so that's what I can say. Chicken and beef and goat meat were not foods that we would eat ordinarily in everyday life. They were reserved for special occasions. For example, when there was a marriage or there was a death or there was a birth, it's not something that was um, part of our everyday diet. It was just for special occasions. And eggs, uh, for instance, um, was also reserved for for special times and uh Pregnant women and adolescent girls were actually not encouraged to eat eggs for whatever uh, reasons, which I cannot go into on this call. Um, but um, everything was revered and uh, treated with special respect. So that's what I can say about the cuisine. Well, all right. Uh, well, thank well you so said. Much. We I was, I was hoping she was going to give us more details, Amalita. This is a show where you're supposed to spill it out. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, at the appropriate time, <laughs> like, like maybe when we create a show specifically on cuisine, then I can uh, really prepare, um, you know, a culinary landscape of Zambia. If that's okay. Oh, that's that's good. That would be beautiful. So we also have on uh, on, on on the line Pastor Priscilla. Pastor Priscilla, she's, I, I believe she's in Boston, Maryland, somewhere out there on the East Coast. So, Pastor Priscilla, talk a little bit about uh, culture uh, from, I think, from a church perspective. What is the role of the church uh, in inculcating uh, our Zambian values, especially being here in the United States? What, what is the role? Is there any role that the church should play? 
Um, actually, this is not Pastor Priscilla. This is the husband. Oh, no. Oh, I apologize for that. Mr. Ngambi, <laughs> welcome. Wonderful. How are you doing? Okay. Oh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I um, want to say that over time, and I want to thank everyone on the panel. I've heard some of the things you've said. Very amazing. I, I, I was listening to the gentleman who was talking about Gumbo, and uh, there's a song there's a song that I love, that uh, a Christian song, and it talks about Gumbo. Uh, the title of the album is actually Gumbo. So uh, it's, it's amazing that all these things, traditionally, even the food, is is something that um, traditions and culture has inculcated so much that uh, people would leave church and go and have food that is more uh, culturally oriented. And so we are having churches today, and this is something that I've been uh, trying to get people over because when you're talking about Christ, Christ is not for a particular set of people, but you have churches that are Congolese, churches that are Yoruba, churches that are, are, are Zambian, you know, and we thank God that Zambia, we don't really have uh, a church for those from Chipata and those from East Western province and those from, at least when you are in a place like the United States or or England or wherever it may be, if it's, a, if it's Zambia, it's everybody Zambian come together despite the number of tribes. But I, um, I, I say to most people that when you're beginning a church, you'd be surprised to note that uh, uh, people will support you uh, because you're from Zambia. They'll say, let's start a Zambian church, and you start all together as Zambian. But over time, you find that, I don't know what it is, but uh, the same people that supported you are the same people that will despise you. There is something about having come from the same place, and especially when they get to know where exactly you grew up. When you say, I grew up from a particular place, and they feel it is not up to standard, they start to uh, feel that you are not really uh, the leader that they've been looking for. So I, I would always say it is good to start with your people but as you start to grow, you need to start to bring in other people because after a while, the same people that were lifting you up are the same people that will bring you down. So when you start to bring other people in, it stops being a cultural thing in the church in terms of where you come from. It starts, you start to create a culture of church where people begin to see Christ rather than rather than where they really come from. Um, and, and that's what I, I would like to say about that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Ngambi there. So now, before we go up to uh, uh, Brother Warren, uh, I know we are, let's go back to Zambia, to Marita. Marita, when, when, in your book, you, I think you, it's focused on the, the kids, the, the teenagers, what do you think is the most important thing that you are trying to impress upon the young readers when they buy your book? Speak from a cultural perspective. What is the take-home home 
take home message for the kids? Okay. Ho hopefully Marita can still hear us. Hello, okay. can you hear me? Oh yeah, now we can hear you. Okay, so the biggest takeaway in the book is that uh, people come from different environments and different cultures and it is important to honor and respect everyone. So um, according to the context uh, that you are operating in, so that's that's the the biggest thing that to honor and respect everyone's culture. That's good. Just nicely, nice and short, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So now let's let's switch gears a little bit. Let's have Nancy. Nancy, can you talk a little bit about the Zambian culture when you are doing your research uh, on Zambian culture? Share with our listeners what you were able to come up with. All right, uh, thank you so much. Um, before I proceed, I wanted to if ask uh, Pastor Ng Ngabi a question. I know uh, that um, names in Zambia are very, very important. Like uh, when children are born, they are normally named after notable family members or ancestral names. So uh, speaking from a Christian point of view perspective, do you have any reservations against people naming uh, children names from their ancestral backgrounds. Wow, that's a powerful question. Let me let me thank you for that. Um, you see, um, I I am big on names, and I believe that names need to be carried on for people to understand your tradition, and really they they play a very big role for people to also know what you are all about. One of my one of my names in my middle name is actually Chenda, okay, and I've used that name for such a long time. And interestingly, I've realized that names uh, carry uh, the very DNA of who you are. Why am I saying that? When I met my wife, I was telling her, I said, you know, you've got to be ready to start traveling the world. And she said, why? I said, because my name is Chenda. Chenda simply means traveling, a traveler. And to, be, to tell you the truth, uh, just the past one month, I've been to, to Africa almost twice. Now, next week, I'll be traveling to go back there, and I'll be back again. So even in the pandemic, my name is still working. Now, here's where the issue is. When your name has a connotation of something negative, like Misozi or Mavuto, you find that you, I've come to understand and I've seen many people who have changed their names from Mavuto to Madaliso, meaning that Mavuto being problematic, I'm going through problems, to Madaliso as I am blessed. Because some people have come to understand what, what, what names can carry and where they can lead you to you'd be surprised that there are certain people who will be going through things over and over again, and immediately they change their names. It becomes positive. So all I'm saying is that it's good to carry on with names, but I think my reservation would be look at the name and look at the meaning. What does it really mean? Because you see in the Bible, even people like Jacob, because of the name, the name meant supplanter. God actually changed his name from Jacob to Israel, because then it meant 
something different and something positive. So it's uh, something that I really uh, uh, tell people to pay attention to. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I know my grandparents, my grandmother, when she heard that my mom was pregnant, she actually made that trip, and she named me whatever she named me. So, <laughs> so uh, thank you so much for clarifying that um, question. So um, I know um, culture is very, very wild, but we'll talk about culture from Zambia point of view, and I know Zambia has 73 ethnic languages, of which yeah. these are straightforward, the Lozi, Tonga, Lovale, Bemba, Ngoni, Kaonde, Tumbuka, Soli, Lamba, and we, we enjoy different uh, traditional ceremonies. Um, these range from, I'm Lozi, so uh, from Western province we have the Kuomboka, uh, which uh, the Kuomboka ceremony is an annual ceremony that happens every year, you know, with, the, with our chief Litonga, and then we have the Nchuala, Ceremony from the Ngoni people and their chief, Paramount chief, and Penzeni, and the, and the Omutomboko ceremony from the Lunda tribe with their chief, Mata Kazembe, Okusefia Pangwenya from um, Bemba tribe, and their chief, um, Paramount chief, Chitimokulu. And we also have another one, another major one, Kufukwila from uh, the Kaonde people and their chief, Makumbi. So I know I've spoken about the names already and uh, some of the traditions about the dowry and the marriages. Uh, you know, in Zambia, the dowry of bride price in Zambia is called the Lobola. This is a pre-wedding practice where the groom is asked to pay an appreciation fee to his intended wife's family for raising her well. This is usually in monetary form in urban cities or in livestock in rural areas. Before the process, a group must declare his intention to marry the bride by bringing the place filled with money, which is called the salamo to his bride's relatives. I have heard that sometimes the, the door is returned back. Can somebody add on that, please? Yeah, Miss Ngambi, I think you can pick it up. <laughs> okay. <All right. laughs> I'm sorry to have thrown that to you. But <laughs> I've heard that when the wife is not performing well and if the marriage is almost ending, maybe the dowry can be returned back to the relatives. <laughs> I think it's a refund policy. I think this is why Walmart, when you, you get something doesn't work, you take it back. <laughs> So there's a refund policy involved. Yeah, no, it, it's traditionally um, set in such a way that it's true when something is not working, they would refund and take the... And fortunately enough, we've come to a time where those kind of things are really being erased slowly because we, I think a lot of us, especially when you've traveled, you've got, you, you start to look at it from a different angle, and you're thinking, you know what, I don't think this is right. Um, but there are people that I've met who would adamantly say, no, 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 this is uh, our, uh, our culture, and uh, I'm, I'm going to do this, it's, it's time. But when you really look at it deeply, you find that it's not because the wife is not performing. Maybe it's most likely because they've just seen somebody and they are tired of you and they want to, they want to go, go on with somebody else. I don't know if it's really true that they would, uh, they would take somebody back because 
they are not performing. I, I really don't think so. <laughs> yeah, you are listening to, yeah. So you are listening to Primetime Radio Show. It comes every Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. So we are discussing culture, and, of course, we have Brother Warren. We have uh, Pastor Brian Gambi joining us tonight and also we have a special guest joining us all the way from Zambia and this is Marita Banda. So Marita recently wrote, a, I mean she wrote a book uh, at, uh, two years ago, I think she said 2019 and we are just uh, sharing, she's sharing some thoughts with us on culture. So one of the challenges I think we have seen is that for some of us who have kids growing up in the United States, uh, parents are from Zambia they tend to have some challenges in uh, understanding the world because do we want them to identify as Zambians? Do we want them to identify as Americans? So uh, I'll ask that question to uh, Pastor Ngambi and also we'll go before Pastor Ngambi comes in, let's go to Brother Warren to share a little bit about uh, uh, culture from an African-American perspective, what, what, what would you say are some of the elements that still, after all these years, are very much African? I know you mentioned the gamble. What else do you, would you say has remained over these years? Well, and I'm, before I answer that, I just want to share with you an experience. I, on my first trip to Ethiopia, I, I was there for, uh, I was visiting, and I was there for like three months. And I used to go to this, uh, uh, there used to be this, this lady had this like a, uh, it was a bar and a restaurant. And she also had a film developing business there. I used to go there. And when I after after the month that I was there and I was coming back to the United States and I, I, I went to go over there like a day before, she said, she said, you know, Warren, she said, when I first met you, she said, I, I was angry with you. And, and, and I said, why? She said, because I thought you were an Ethiopian who didn't want to speak the language and you want you <laughs> acting like an American. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, and, and I, I really got a kick out of the, the times I've been in Africa and the people just didn't even know that I was from the United States. And then they would always assume that one of my parents had to be from that country. And so, <laughs> and so I, 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 that was, that, that's an interesting, interesting experience. But anyway, uh, you know, a lot of the things, there's a term they call uh, cultural retention in the United States and in the Americas, like in the Caribbean, that, that uh, there's a lot of Africanisms that black people retain. And so one, as I mentioned, was in the use of language. So let me give an example of what they call African-American English. Remember now, black people have always been ridiculed, criticized, downgraded for everything. But, you know, it's the African-Americans, you know, develop a style in the English language such that even what we call American English in general is enriched by it. And so I'm going to give you an example of this. Now, look at this expression. Look at this question. 
who is it? Who is it? So let's say someone's knocking on the door or someone walks by and someone may say, who is it? Well, in traditional African-American uh, vernacular, the people used to say, who that? Who that? I guess you could spell it W-H-O-D-A-T. Who that? So who that would be basically saying, who is that? All right. So let's fast forward it to today. We have a professional football team called the New Orleans Saints. It's one of the major league football teams, the New Orleans Saints. And so one of the chants, one of the chants for the team is who that, who that say they're going to beat them Saints because that's the, the uh, you know, the Saints. We call them New Orleans Saints. So it's who that, who that say they're going to beat them Saints. Now, that comes from, uh, uh, you know, shouts in the black community when people would say, you know, who that would do this. So that expression, white people say that expression with a passion. Who that? Who that? They have songs about it. They have it in, in T-shirts and everything. So now in a traditional way where a black person would be made to feel bad about speaking that way, now you see the white people making money off of it. <laughs> so that's just one of a million examples I can give. Another example would be style and fashion, style and fashion. Let me give you an example. During enslavement in Louisiana, uh, what happened was there was so much where, you know, you would have the white men would rape the black women. You would have a lot of black people who looked like white people walking around. And many of the white men were fascinated by the lighter-skinned black females until the white wives became jealous and envious. So the white wives forced the governor to pass a law that any woman of African descent had to cover her head in a wrap called a tignon. Well, you know what the black women did? They styled them and made them fashionable. <laughs> so, so they wore those elaborate head wraps with different color of madras cloth. And those are, those are paintings. Those are like paintings you can see in photographs. My great-grandmother wore a tignon on her head. So even when they were told to wear a head wrap to show a degrading position, they wore them with style and flashiness they become a fashion. <laughs> so, so and, and I can go on and on. I can go into religion, cuisine. For example, uh, some of the foodstuffs that were brought here from Africa were okra, black-eyed peas, watermelon, the guinea fowl, the little small gray or black chicken. We, we make a good gumbo with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the growing of rice. Louisiana and South Carolina are the two areas in the United States where rice is a regular part of the diet. We eat rice with everything. Uh, The taste for bitter leafy greens. So you may hear black people talk about greens, mustard greens or collard greens. Uh, The cooking, the techniques of cooking were like smothering, smothering food and gravies, deep frying and all of these things. You also find it in Brazil, among the black population in Brazil. 
So there's so much that's still apart. But in this 21st century, the U.S. black population probably is about 50 million people. So it's very diverse. It's responding to technology, to urbanization. It's responding to these things in a myriad of ways. So it's becoming difficult today to say this is black culture because the, the black people are so throughout the American landscape and are responding to the various aspects of work, labor, uh, you know, the, the hustle and bustle of trying to survive. So you may, you may come across uh, black people who are, their diction, the way they talk, is just completely like that of white people. And, you know, so it's, so, so it's very diverse. But traditionally, coming out of the United States South, the southern region, it, it was very much identifiable what could be considered black culture. Even when you, the blacks went to New York and Harlem in the 1920s, you had all this flourishing of all of these black people coming from the south part in the, the western part of the U.S. and blacks coming in from the Caribbean. So these cultures fertilize each other. And this is another point, and I'll be quiet. Isn't it interesting that every black population group in America are the most significant generative and creative of culture where they are? The blacks in Brazil. The blacks in the Caribbean, like Jamaica and Trinidad, the blacks in Cuba, a Spanish-speaking country, the people in Haiti, Martinique, Guadalupe, Ecuador, Peru. It shows you how African culture is not static, but African culture can adjust itself and reproduce multi-generational uh, much of the genius and, and creativity that exists. In, among those African groups on the continent that were brought here to the Americas. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. So even when you see little black girls in the United States dressing a certain way, they're, they're, they're exemplifying a creativity that they don't know that they're carrying on. The way you braid your hair, the way they comb their hair, the way they fix their hair. Or when you see young people rapping, how they're taking the English language and they're manipulating the language to create a sort of music to speak to their heartbeats and the rhythm, as with jazz, blues, and everything else. So the African culture, Nancy, African cultures are very, very fluid and dynamic. Well said, well said, Brother Warren. So I think we're going to go ahead and open up the lines just in case our listeners have a question. So if you have a question, feel free to jump in. You can ask a question to Marita. She's joining us all the way from Zambia. So lines are uh, open, people. I have a question for Marita. I have a question for Marita Banda. Yes, go ahead. So uh, Marita, can you talk a little bit about the Zambian culture? What are some of the notable cultures that we still uphold, and what are some of the cultures that we think we should um, get rid of? (laughs) Okay, uh, so for me... The, one of the really most important cultures um, that we need to uphold is um, boundaries. It's really important to have boundaries between adults and children and uh, gender boundaries. I definitely agree with um, you know gender equity, but I also think that um, 
when we have boundaries between genders, it's very unlikely that we are going to experience sexual violence. And the same applies when we have boundaries between uh, children and adults. So that's something that I appreciate about uh, Zambian culture that I think um, we need to continue to uphold. And uh, in the same vein, something that um, is not working for us anymore is uh, where people are not allowed to, to speak up for themselves. Because in many instances, uh, there's an English saying which uh, says um, children uh, need to be seen and not to be heard. Um, and that is something that has been part of our cultural experience as Indian people. I think that is no longer working. Uh, whether you're a child or you're a female, I think in situations where actually there is an injustice, it's important to to speak up. Uh, so those are the two things that immediately come to mind. So thank you very much for your question. You're most welcome. You're most welcome. So uh, Pastor Nyambi, are you still on the line? Maybe you can also add on that. Um, what are some of the notable Zambian cultures that we need to continue upholding? And what are some of the Zambian cultures that we think that we need to let go? Or just just in general in Africa? Yeah, um, thank you so much for asking that question. Um, I remember traveling to Zambia in 98, coming from England, and uh, I was uh, speaking to this gentleman and I was saying that, you know, having been, having been out of the country does not make me uh, white, does not make me British, does not make me... It's just uh, I've seen some things there that I know I can pick up and use because it's not everything they have that is great and it's not everything they have that is, that is bad. Just like our culture, we have some good things and some bad things. So I'm glad you asked that question. Really, I think one of the main things that I feel we really need to uphold in Zambia is just the, uh, the, the aspect of respect for the adult. Um, and, and so we have a situation where um, our dear sister here just mentioned something, uh, the children being able to speak up. That is good. The question is, where do we find the balance? And mm-hmm. that's important. If we can find the balance somewhere, um, it is, uh, I was just describing something last week when I was saying that, you know, when we're growing up, you say something, who do you think they're talking to? Okay, and then, and, and, and then, then there's a part that they go, I, I, you've just done this, explain. And then when you explain, who do you think you're talking to? Why are you talking? Who, opened, who told you to open your mouth? So it's like you don't even know whether you're going forward or whether you should speak or not speak. I think that harassment is one of the things that I'll say should not be there because it, it really affects uh, children. And as they grow up, they, the aspect of them uh, having this ability to have their heads held up high becomes a problem. That self-esteem becomes a problem. So if we can deal with that in those areas, I think that would help well, uh, thank you so much. I know I grew up in that era. My father was a uh, commanding officer for Lusaka Central. He was a police officer. So you know what that that one entails, that we're not yeah. even allowed to speak. 
<laughs> when you see him pack the car outside, you just leave the living room, okay? <laughs> so I know, I know you have children in the United States, and uh, both you and the mother are from Zambia. So how can you make sure that these children, you are passing on the traditions? Yeah. On your part, great. what can you do? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Th- th- so, Okay, so sorry, let me just com- complete this by saying that uh, two, two weeks ago we had a program to do with child upbringing. And we had these Jamaicans uh, that spoke, and later on we had these people from Sierra Leone, uh, no, uh, Togo. And they were saying that whatever we do in our house, we always make sure that in our home it is, say, for example, I'm Zambian. Home is Zambia. Outside is America. The reason is there should be a balance so that children get to know their background and they should know what is going on in America. That's it that I wanted to say. That's a very, very powerful statement. I know even when I was growing up in Zambia, when I was inside the house, we were allowed only to speak Lozi. And I really do appreciate that upbringing because otherwise I could have not known how to speak Lozi because Lozi is one of the most difficult um, languages. But my father was really, really strict on that aspect. So we all grew up uh, knowing our tradition and knowing how to speak the language. So I know, I think um, maybe after the break, uh, the break you can talk about culture and the economy. I'm handing over to you. Yeah, so thank you, Nancy. And then we have 15 minutes to the show, so I'm even thinking that instead of taking a break, see, we can just go ahead and cruise through. And No. Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, I wanted to speak to the topic everybody was talking about, about the, 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 the young people's respect towards the adults. Uh, mm-hmm. In the United States, I, I guess it could be said in the United States, it's just, it's just disrespectful here. I mean, young people are just disrespectful to to adults, but it wasn't always that way here. And in the African-American community, if you would have come here 55 to 60 years ago, you would have seen wherever you've gone in the black neighborhood, you would have seen that strictness that you saw in Africa. When I was coming up, you had to speak to every neighbor that was outside. If you did not speak to one of the neighbors on your way to school, when you got home, you were verbally abused or you may, you may be disciplined physically. You did not talk back to any, and, and the adults in the neighborhood had the permission to chastise you. That, I lived through that. And I remember, you know, when adults were talking, you could not really be around them or even say anything in their conversation. That started to change about some time in the mid to late 60s. It's a long story, but that type of, uh, uh, you know, respect that the young people had to have for the elderly, that existed here. And, uh, but, but now much of that has eroded. And uh, black families were known for uh, chastising their children. In fact, when I was coming up, by the way, it was always the white children who would talk back to their parents. And we used to always say, we used to always notice that and say, wow, they're talking back to their parents. But now, you know, things are just all over. Things are broken down all over in terms of that. Yeah. But I do Time agree there must be a balance where the young people must have a voice because guess what also happens in those situations? 
you have abusive children. And if children have been taught not to say anything against adults, they would be quiet about it. Okay, and so we have to keep that in mind, too. We do have to strike a balance as to what point children have a right to speak and to speak up against adults who may do them wrong and abuse them. Because you had you have situations in schools where you may have teachers try to verbally abuse or mis, mistreat a student in the classroom. I was talking to a cousin of mine. He's in his 70s, and he remembers in the third grade how there was a teacher because the teacher had a, had a run-in with his father years before, that teacher took it out on him. And he said the teacher used to make him come to the board uh, to do mat problems and embarrass him in front of other children. So, uh, so yes, we have to talk about where is the boundary and, and what's the balance there between the, the, the young people and adults as it relates to respect. That is a very, very uh, good point. It's, it's such a uh, tough time to raise children. Uh, you want them to talk. You want uh, parents to listen to the children talking because you don't know what they're facing out there in schools. You don't know what they're facing out there when they're playing with people. So allow your children to talk. Let's have that balance. And uh, we have Mr. Kevin on the line. Uh, did you want to say anything about the Zambian culture or the topic that we are discussing today? Hello, did you say Kelvin? Yes, I said Kelvin. Good evening. Good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening. I'm all right, thank you. Actually, Kapitifanga is my name, which is simple and more traditional. All right. Okay, okay. I was getting naughty. Yeah, and uh, like when people say about... Okay, good evening. Uh, I'm Kalemba. That's my other best name. So I write a lot, too. I, I, I can just uh, refer to the pastor's sentiments. But when we come to the topic of uh, tradition and culture, I can break them in this uh, structure where I say traditional is uh, based on boundaries with, within certain communities. For instance, in uh, African uh, countries where we still maintain uh, leadership on the lower levels, apart from uh, the governing systems, which are more modern, like the government. We've got traditional leaders within their own camps with their people in the clans. Their traditional is more or draws the boundaries of command. When we come to a culture, a culture brings up all these uh, bordered chiefdoms or people in different segments practicing different uh, traditions together to share common goals, then it's a culture, meaning the way we, we eat, the type of food we eat, and the way we dress. But the barriers there is the traditional system that controls. For instance, in Western province, uh, they've got certain things that uh, controls those people within that region if you come like northwestern province, you find that also people behave in a certain way within the, their own boundaries. That's a traditional barrier. But uh, when we go on the international borders, it's an open, uh, it's more diverse because the limitations are not there. That's why we, it's very difficult. Like uh, when you come direct from back in Africa, then you come in a place like uh, 
the U.S. and you relate with maybe the young ones on the streets, you find that the way they talk to you, sometimes you could feel maybe it's a taboo if you are back home. A young man should not talk to me like that. But because that's what governs in terms of uh, tradition, the culture there is the young person should treat the adults in a certain way. It's a uniform and it's a boundary that... Uh, um, uh, what's, what's the best thing? Okay, let me just say, for instance, at my house back in uh, Zambia, if I have my house, if a visitor comes and I've got only two rooms, if my children are in the other room and an adult comes, if there is an extra space, maybe two beds in that room, my children will move maybe into one bed and the adult can go in the other bed. It's more like our tradition uh, guide does not have a boundary like here where we would say an adult cannot be in my kid's bedroom. All right, all right. Uh, that's a very, very good point. So uh, we have seven minutes to uh, 10.30 p.m. So we are ending at 10.30 p.m. Uh, I know uh, we have Miss Marita Banda, our special guest. She's all the way in Zambia, and you know how it is, talk time there. So I'll, I'll need to connect with you when I'm in Zambia. Uh, do you have any uh, last words, Miss Marita Banda? Oh, unfortunately, she just dropped off the call. I think uh, it's the connection or things like that. So uh, let's go to Brother Warren to uh, make his final comments, and then we'll go, go back to Marita if she's able to go back in. Um, Dorothy wanted to say something. I don't know whether she's on. Madam Dorothy, yeah. are you able to Dorothy, say something in less Dorothy, than uh, one yeah. minute? Dorothy has also dropped. She has <laughs> also dropped. Okay. All right. Let's continue. So, yeah, yeah. So now we are just concluding. So, Brother Warren, if you can just summarize, because we realize this is a broad subject. I think we'll have a continuation. So if you can summarize, and then we'll go to Pastor Ngambi, and we'll take it up from there. I think that the conversation was very stimulating and exciting. We did cover culture in a very broad way. We looked at, uh, you know, language, traditions, and cuisine and other things. Uh, And I hope when we do continue this discussion, we can look at how does one's culture empower them, the group, to face the challenges of the world, because remember this, you know, everything is, nothing's isolated anymore. Everybody's uh, interconnected through this technology and the economy. So how does culture help a people compete? I guess that's what it is. How does one's culture help the group compete against competing cultures who may even view the culture as a threat? So if your culture is seen as a threat to another culture and that culture wants to move in, on your territory and your space for their advancement, how does your culture prepare you for that? That would be an interesting uh, focus. <laughs> definitely, definitely, Brother Warren. So let's, let's go to Pastor Ngambi, if you can just summarize in a minute or less before we, we jump off the line. Wow. Uh, you know, Brother Warren, Mr. Warren, you, you're just amazing. Some of the things you're saying are blowing my mind. And what you just said is important because I think what has happened is that a lot of us, we have this, we have cultures and they're inert. They're 
are not expressed. They are not known. For example, I remember one time when I was in England, this two police people stopped um, uh, an African person. And uh, the first thing they, they said was, let me tell you something about this African. I can see this one is an African. And he will lie. These people lie a lot. They just, comp- everything they talk about, it's a lie. So they just listen to what is going So you find that they stereotype you uh, based on the things that we have experienced in our cultural backgrounds. And where, where, does, where do these lies come from? These lies come from the fact that our parents could have been so strict on us and so, like, just a few weeks ago, my, my, my niece fell off the bike. And she could not tell her parents that she fell off the bike. I was just given the bike back because I'm the one that bought the bike to say that, please help it, fix, help it to get, get fixed. And so I'm just telling them that, you see, you, you've got to relate with the children to where they're able to express themselves. You've got to be strict, but at the same time, relate with them where they can express themselves because eventually they'll continue lying, and that's the culture we've been building. That's all I wanted to say. Wow, wow, wow. That's a very, very important point that you brought in. You don't want your children to start lying. I think uh, integrity is very, very important. As we, you mentioned earlier on, Tasangabi, that we need to allow the children to talk and we need to have that balance. And um, I know we are living in a very difficult world in the U.S. Uh, where black people are being stereotyped. So it's a very, very uh, difficult uh, situation for most of the black people, all of us, actually, <laughs> in our everyday to day lives. So, Noah and Lobo, do you have anything to conclude? I know you like to talk. <laughs> yeah, so today, see, me, I like to talk. But to, for, for this show, I was just in the listening mode because, of course, we have great minds here. Of course, we appreciate uh, having Marita Banda joining from all the way in Zambia, and of course, Pastor Ngambi, and also uh, Brother Warren, who is uh, one of us here. So I think what we have done today, ladies and gentlemen, is that we have sort of given you all just a taste of what culture is. So we're going to segment this discussion. We'll have a part two continuation next week where we'll narrow down either on linguistics or we look at the economy, how culture improve or better our lives so hopefully you've learned one or two things hopefully you've been excited inspired so as we transition we just ask you to continue listening to the show because we do this show to empower our community so nancy you know i like to talk but at least you see i was just in the background relaxing and just giving the platform to others. So join <laughs> us <like> next. <laughs> oh yeah. So join us next week, ladies and gentlemen, on the same time. Of course, Pastor Ngambi would like for you to uh, continue to join us as we uh, conclude our discussion next week. So we'll leave you with this beautiful song by Angela Nirenda. I think this is very appropriate for this show is from where I come from. That's why I'm playing it because I'm, I, I come from the eastern part, which is the right side of the country. And the wrong side, of course, everybody knows is the northern part. So Nancy, I'm sure you agree with me, even if you come from the western no. part. So, <laughs> no, so ladies and gentlemen, because... join us <laughs> next <selfish>. week. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> join us next week. So this is Ajara Nirenda. 
homage to the ancestral spirits, commemorate their victories during tribal wars, and praise the Lord for giving them fresh crops in the field. The Nkwala ceremony is graced by His Royal Highness, Kos Yamankos, Paramount Chief and President of Zambia. Chilo Paloy 